Welcome to Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by Katanzari Financial Services. I'm Tim Priester with Pete Sampson. Today on Monday, a couple days after Notre Dame's 19-14 victory over Pittsburgh. Before we go any further, I just want to remind everybody that we will not have a podcast this Thursday. Our next podcast will be on Monday, October 22nd, as we uh, enter Navy Week. Well, Notre Dame wins a 19-14 game. They move up to number four in the rankings. One of many teams that really struggled this week. Four top ten teams lost. Notre Dame was not one of them. That's the really good news. Uh, it was a struggle offensively. The defense was great, really, from from the after the first series, which you know, as a result of a special team snafu, uh, that series was allowed to continue and Pittsburgh converted into a touchdown. But otherwise, the defense was great. Uh, Ian Book responded in the second half like he usually does. Uh, Julian O'Quara dominated the football game on the defensive side, and the 99-yard kickoff return obviously was a, a, a special team snafu that, that can't happen and has happened twice. But, um, you know, Pete, I, when you look at all the teams that struggled this past week and some that didn't survive it, it was the second week of October. It was that kind of weekend, and Notre Dame came out of midterms and somehow found a way to win. Yeah, I mean, they were fortunate to play Pittsburgh this week because it was right. a. It, I think Brian Kelly said it after the game; it was dead on that that was a losing performance against a better team. And Pittsburgh's probably Pittsburgh and Navy are both really struggling this year. But I think that kind of performance would certainly get you beat at USC. It might get you beat at Northwestern. It might get you beat at Syracuse. And it could even get you beat at home against Florida State on senior day. So I guess it's, if you're going to, last week I praised Notre Dame for having a really good B performance against Virginia Tech. This was like B minus C plus, And it was a low enough grade that you, you're not going to be able to get to 12-0 and 0 playing that way. Well, and, and it's, I mean, the offense was a D in the, Defense was a you know a minus I guess somewhere in that range that's what that's what gives you the grade and I just want to say this from here on out I am not going to underestimate Florida State I'm just not going to <laughs> I, I I just I refuse to assume that Notre Dame is going to win a home game against Florida State on Senior Day we don't know what's going to happen now if it's sleeting rain and and ice I'll feel better about Notre Dame's chances but I'm not going to, going to underestimate that game but. Um, yeah, I mean, Julian O'Quara is ridiculous, man. I mean, that is a ridiculous football player. He's listed at 241. He looks like he's 220 still. He's he's stronger than, you know, you see him pulling uh, Kadri Allison, you know, in the run game, pulling him back. He, he's incredibly strong for his size. I, you, you can't block him. You have to hold him, which they did frequently, along with, Khalid Kareem, that those two guys get held half a dozen times every game <laughs> that aren't called. So, and, and even more so in this game. But you know, thank goodness that the, and the defense had to absolutely be that stout, where they held them for eight straight drives. Yeah, and I, I think as we were watching it unfold, you felt like the defense was a little bit on their heels on the first drive. But it was a 17 play, 88 yard drive, so it wasn't like. Pittsburgh was snapping off these huge plays. Um, The touchdown run was, you know, there was a bad run fit in there, and there was a a pretty big alleyway for Allison to take that in as a as a in a wildcat type of look. But I mean, I thought the defense really start to finish. I I would lump the first drive in with With everything else that was positive about it. Oh, because right, they did get the stop. Yeah, I think it was it was a positive start. And it just stayed positive all the way through the defense. And, I, I mean, I completely agree on Aquara. There was 
There was a one play. It was a third down pressure. He's rushing from Pickett's right. Uh, it, it ends up he ends up sort of falling down, but then somehow jumping from a kneeling position and hitting Pickett. And then the ball, I think, basically hits Coney uh, or just misses Coney. It's an incomplete pass, but. He's um he's playing some of the best football I think that we've seen from a Notre Dame defensive end in a long time. Maybe what Aaron Lynch freshman year type of stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, Stephon Tuitt was a different style. Yeah, I think Kareem's. I mean, to a, to a large extent, Kareem's right there with him. I know the stats that like the the pressures. He's only he only has mm-hmm. half of what a car has, but he has four and a half sacks. And I, you know, it, it's almost like. <clears throat> and hey, that was the first game that right that Kareem didn't go off with an injury, or did he not go off yeah. the field with it? I, I think his his ankle survived. Yeah, and so now he has a, a, an extra week. But you know, it's almost like when Kareem decides, okay, I'm coming after this guy. He's really he's just that much harder to to block. So they're they're doing some great things up uh, up front there, and that's you know you're going to have your offensive consistencies. We talk about this, but defensively, you want to be able to count on that defensive line, that pass rush. Every game, and and they've been able to do that up to I mean, this point. Yeah, that was something I asked Kelly after the game. I, I mean, I really feel like the pass rush is the most reliable thing about Notre Dame individually is probably Julian Love. Collectively, it's probably the pass rush and that defensive line play <laughs> because, I mean, whether it's Jerry Tillery getting off blocks and he's too fast for um, you know a, a fullback to sort of wham block him, um, you know, a third down run stop. The way the game ended with, I think it went Aquara, Kareem, Hayes, Aquara on four straight plays in terms of the pressure they they got to pick it. Um, that's just something that Notre Dame can rely on. And as much as the offense is going to be up and down, because I, I think offenses generally are up and down, I think the defense is going to be really good from start to finish. That That will be something that I think Notre Dame can count on through the end of November, whereas offensively, you know, we got. I think there was a lot of questions on Twitter about this. Was there a, a blueprint of sorts? We'll thrown, talk about yeah, more, and more of that in the second segment. Thrown out against Ian Book. I, I don't really know the answer to that, but I would say that in my preview on Friday, one of the things I thought Pittsburgh would try to do would be blitz him more, not nearly as much as they actually did, um, because through the fir- his first three starts, Ian Book against the blitz was thirteen to twenty-eight. It's a forty-six percent completion percentage that's that's a, a that's a winning proposition if you're a defense right well on saturday i think and this will probably surprise people i know it surprised me the way i totaled it up book was 14 <laughs> of 17 against the blitz for 80 that's an 82 percent completion percentage so there were times where i think the impact of pittsburgh's blitzing on ian book was almost more when they didn't do it wow when it was a change up when ian book thought they were blitzing because at that point you're looking for that fifth guy coming, but he's not. He's in coverage, and that's like classically you th- you're you're trying to go against twelve guys at that point. I think right. that's that's where Pittsburgh sort of had success by instead of making the blitz the change up, making the the sort of drop seven the change up. And I think that was a really smart move until Chip Long sort of figured it out in the second half. Yeah. Well, you know, Pat Narduzzi is a is a great defensive coordinator. I think is a very average head coach, but a great defensive coordinator and we shouldn't be surprised and shame on us for not emphasizing the possibility of this happening but the, I watched like I know I watched linebacker was out I know I watched too much Pittsburgh film from earlier <laughs> in the year and it's like I can only come to the conclusion that this isn't a very good football team and I they had just beaten Syracuse and maybe we didn't put enough enough 
emphasis on that. And they were blown up by Central Florida and Penn State. I got you. Like, you know? No, I, I, I got you. And that's why we look at, with the way the offense was playing with Ian Book, averaging 46 points per game in his first three starts, and then Penn State scored 51, Central Florida scored 45, and they lose their top defensive player, at least in the front seven, you expect that. But, you know, football... <laughs> Football's a crazy game, and and the emotions of it, uh, you know, Notre Dame coming off Virginia Tech and and Stanford and midterms, and I know people don't want to hear that, but it's reality. <laughs> Brian Kelly didn't want to hear it when yeah. I asked him about it. Yeah, but I mean, it is it is just reality, and it it played out, and I, and I said it last week. Lou Holtz used to talk about midterms all the time. Think about how great his teams were, <laughs> and he had they had moments. I would have to go back and chart that exactly as to when they. Struggled, but he was always worried about it because he felt like his team didn't play nearly as well. So there's definitely something through it. Before we finish up segment one, I did want to talk about Miles Boykin and Chris Fink in particular because I don't think too many people would have felt like Chris Fink would be tied for second uh, through seven games. And I was surprised when I read that in your tale with yeah, this morning. Tied for second in tackles with with Elize Mack. He had another effective game. He is. He's deadly against zones because he finds a crease. He's a tough matchup. They can do jet sweeps with him. Um, you know, he's made it. The, the throw that Book made, that 26-yard double move uh, up and out. Oh, yeah, it's gorgeous. Uh, prior to the Claypool touchdown was just a – it was a tremendous route and a tremendous throw. The best throw of the day other than the game-winning throw to Boykin. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, Fink is doing great things. I don't think we could have anticipated that. I figured last year that – Chip Long just didn't like Fink and didn't think, you know, he wanted a bigger guy in there and he didn't have much of a future with Chip Long as an offensive coordinator. But he's emerged. And give Miles Boykin credit, you know, it's a tough matchup. Press coverage isn't something that he's had a lot of success with in his past. He he told me that, you know, he was open He was open quite a bit, but Book was under uh, under duress a lot, and so he couldn't always find him. But he made the big third and five catch prior to the 35-yard touchdown pass, and he just zipped by Dane Jackson. Jackson held him, but he ran through that, and an absolutely perfect pass for me and Book. I mean, there's no question. I, th- I think that Book's second interception would have been a Boykin touchdown. Yep, that was another if one. If Kramer didn't like give up pressure, and then Book, Book's arm gets hit, the pass gets picked off. Um, at that point, the game, Notre Dame is under some real game pressure. That's the series immediately after the kickoff return touchdown. Um so I, I thought that was another interesting dynamic. Uh, Drew Tranquil said this after the game, basically, like, like I, I don't know of a team that's won the national championship that hasn't, you know, trailed in a game or you have been under some real pressure or played this kind of game. And that was that was basically us today. And I, I would agree with that. I, I don't like the, oh, it's hard to win in college football. See, like, everything's okay. Because that, that, like... If you take Alabama out of the mix, great. I mean, they don't have a hard – it's not hard for them to win in college football. Um, it was hard for Georgia, but they were at LSU. It shouldn't be It shouldn't be that hard to beat Pittsburgh. Um, that would be more of my concern. But I do think there, there was some real game pressure on Notre Dame in a way that they haven't felt all year. And I thought they comfortably handled it. I mean, the defense could have panicked. They just sort of kept doing what they were doing for four quarters. That was enough. I think the offense needed to find an adjustment, and I give a lot of credit to Chip Long for finding it because the way that they sort of changed things up with what they were doing with Claypool and Fink uh, was significant. That was not something I think that they've done a whole lot this year, but 
it was not something that would be really effective against most yeah. teams because most teams aren't sending seven and eight guys right. trying to come after your quarterback. Claypool's a tough matchup inside or outside. You know, I mean, that's a really tough matchup when he's lined up inside. I, you know, I think, I mean, it's a, it, it's it's also a testament to the inconsistent program that Pat Narduzzi runs. If you can beat, if you can beat Clemson two years ago, and you can beat Miami last year, two number two teams, and then play that way against Notre Dame, and obviously you don't have a consistent program or a consistent message. And so that, to me, that reflects on the coaching staff. But Notre Dame overcame it. We have a lot of other topics we can talk about in this segment, but then we'd be stepping on segment two. (laughs) So we'll wrap this one up and come back with questions from our readers. Catanzarite Financial Services is a safe harbor providing guidance to clients on anything that affects them financially, including retirement planning, asset management, and estate planning. Catanzarite Financial Services also leads retirement planning classes in South Bend and Elkhart, Indiana. Log on to CatanzariteFinancialServices.com. We're back. Segment two, Irish Illustrated Insider burning up the boards. The first question Irish, I was tailgating. How much can we reasonably expect the offensive line to, quote, grow and improve, end quote, over the rest of the season? It's a good question. I mean, without Alex Bars, it's not going to be anywhere near what it was. Um, they're trying to make do. They're just, they're trying to make do right now. I mean, re- I mean, really, yeah. they're just they're trying to find a rhythm with Trevor Rulin in the mix. And I'm not. I don't think it's all on Trevor Rulin because I don't think. I mean, as everybody knows, I, I, I just don't think Tommy Kramer's playing very good and consistent football. I, I didn't think Hainsey had a real good game against the outside, you know, pass rush from Pittsburgh. And Eichenberg is, I mean, I think Eichenberg takes one step forward, one step back usually. And that's what happens when you're a first-time starter. It happens to uh, just about everybody but Quentin Nelson. But yeah. uh, I don't think he was going one step forward, one step back his first year. But um, it, it's going to be difficult. I, you know, something I threw out in the tail of the tape today, I I really like the way Aaron Banks moves. Now, he's got no body of work, so he has no experiences to draw upon. And I'm not saying necessarily in place of ruling. I'm saying maybe you can, if you want to rotate a redshirt freshman at two spots, maybe you can do that. I mean, maybe it'll keep Tommy Kramer a little bit fresher. And, and, and I like... I mean, not only do I think he's fairly light on his feet, but I think he shows good change of direction. And those are two really important things <laughs> for an offensive lineman. So it's it's just snippets. And, a, you know, I don't – he came in in the first series of the second quarter and the first series of the third quarter. I don't know if I missed him. I think he might have other... played in the first – well, that would be the second quarter. I was going to say their second yeah, – Notre Dame's second drive right, was actually at right. the start of the second quarter. So but I remember right. him being in early. And, I, you know, I read what you wrote in the tail of the tape. I, I agree that – Maybe with the bye week, more time to sort of monkey around with that. Navy, as you noted, is terrible yeah. uh, against the run. Maybe there's something you can work on there. Um, there's got to be – there's something there to take advantage of with Aaron Banks the rest of the year. How much they take advantage of it, I don't really know. But, I mean, you look at – these are Dexter Williams' runs. Minus one, minus two, three, one, three, four, two, three, minus two, 13, three, four, zero. I mean, that's a guy who was averaging nine yards a carry going into this game and 100. And you know, if he has the plus. slightest crease. Yeah, you do not need to give him a whole lot right. of room. Uh, and that is how little room he had to run. And yeah, some of that had to do with Pittsburgh having more guys than Notre Dame could block. But a lot of that had to do with Pittsburgh having as many and Notre Dame not blocking them. And that's that's a that's an issue that they have to get 
figured out on the offensive line first and foremost. You know, look, offensive lines improve the more they play together. So they're seven games in. They need the Navy game. They need to, you know, I'm, I'll be very interested to see how Chip Long calls that game. Brian Kelly seems to be trying to tug him in the other direction of, of throwing the football. Uh, Chip Long seems like the kind of guy that will be resistant to that. So I think that's a good thing. You know, I, we've talked about this in the past, and I wrote about it again today. I, I, I think that you have to you have to absorb some short yardage runs in order to stick to what you need to do as a as a balanced offense, and that means running the football. You've got to get this line to be a, a better run blocking team. Well, hell, you got to get them to be a better pass blocking team now too, because that's that's an issue as well at times. So. You know, it isn't anything. Notre Dame isn't throwing their hand, and I, I kind of get where Brian Kelly's come from when he said on Sunday that you know nobody's panicking uh, with the run game in in, in their office, and, and I get that from the standpoint that hey man, you still almost have half the season. You go back to work, you have a bye week. They'll get rested up, and we'll give it another shot. But you know, right now they 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 just they don't have a lot. They're they're not making. Progress through seven games of the season. I don't think I don't see that considering, you know, where you would think they would be by this stage of the season. So it's going to be difficult. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's worth going back the first three games of the year. It's not like they were running all over people with Alex Bars. Um, I think if I if I had a takeaway here from Notre Dame's offensive line is the concerns that we had immediately when Alex Bars got hurt. I think are being validated week by week by week. No doubt, and I don't know how it could have been any other way. Yeah. <laughs> Alex Bars was playing that well. He really was. Okay, uh, two questions combined. One from Andy Squid 23 Did Pittsburgh figure out the blueprint to defend the Irish offense under Ian Book? And then tying in with Cubster 11, should we assume Pittsburgh provided the blueprint to slow down Ian Book, seven or eight in the box, and press coverage? I, I would attack Notre Dame how Pittsburgh attacked Notre Dame until Notre Dame figured it out, but... I would also say that I think Noreen sort of figured it out in the second half. So the blueprint, if you could somehow remove Noreen's knowledge of how to attack Pittsburgh in the second half and the way that Ian Book was successful getting the ball out to Fink and Boykin and Claypool, then yeah, I think that would be a good success. But I think Noreen has already sort of counterpunched on this one. So the blueprint... I think had a shelf life of about three quarters. Um, so yeah, they provided a blueprint that is already, I think, a little bit outdated. Yeah, I think you know, I mean, the quick game. Obviously, Book throws the quick game really, really well. He's got some big receivers to throw to, and he's got an elusive one in Fink, and he's got some tight ends. I would like to see, I would like to see Elize Mack catching the ball vertically as opposed to horizontally because he doesn't seem to. They were close. Get a they lot of almost got that. Yeah, yeah. They, they don't get. You mean the one he overthrew? Yeah. yeah, that was wide open, and Claypool was open on the next level. But um, you know, he doesn't. He's just better vertically, and so I think that that's the best way um, to use him. The, the 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 quick game certainly in the passing game. Um, you know, and you have to run. You have to have more design runs with Ian Book too. I mean that that is that's a part. I agree of what you do. I think of the sixteen runs. I counted four. I'm I'm sure of it. I had four out of sixteen that that were actually like designed. RPO keeper type. Yeah, read option or or or, design uh, runs. or, or just a, a, a you know quarterback draw or something like that. So that ha- that has to be a part of what you do as well. Um, you know, depending upon how they defense it. I will say this. You know, you we can say okay, use Pittsburgh's blueprint. Well, 
there are only a handful of teams that really want to play press coverage with their cornerback because yeah. that puts them on an island, and that's difficult to do. So you can't just say, hey, Pittsburgh ran press coverage, it worked. That's what Pat Narduzzi does. That's a, that's his DNA. Yeah, and I, I think that really the blueprint for Pittsburgh was Notre Dame is not sure what we're doing. That's And that's not really about schemes or guys in the box or what coverages you're playing. It's catching the opponent off guard and making them adjust. For somebody else to do what Pittsburgh did wouldn't catch Notre Dame off guard. And I, I think you saw, I thought the the 21-yard slant to Claypool was a perfect example of how Notre Dame adjusted. And at that point, the like Pittsburgh plan worked. Pittsburgh plan worked until it didn't. And that's when it stopped working because they brought eight guys, Claypool cut underneath. That should have been a 71-yard touchdown, yeah, exactly. not a 21-yard game. Exactly. And it was an easy pitch and catch. Notre Dame knew how to attack Pittsburgh at that point. And I think really from that moment on in the game, Notre Dame, I don't know, they certainly weren't in control because they were losing. But offensively, they had a rhythm there, and they, they did not really let up yeah, until the they game had was over. Yeah, they had 151 yards in those two touchdown drives over the last 17 minutes. And they were stopped in there in between. But, but yeah, they, yeah. And Narducey actually even referred to kind of like the demarcation of the game. Um, you know, when they start to catch up a little bit. Um, so, yeah, but it's, you know, it's difficult. I mean, you could say, I mean, to a large extent, you thought Virginia Tech might have had a blueprint too. And then Notre Dame exploded in the second half and ended up with 38 offensive points out of their 45. And so, you know, keep in mind, Ian Book, four starts, man. Four starts this year, five in his career, as good as, good as he's looked. And is it, uh, amazingly, he completes eighty percent of his passes in that game. He's number one nationally in completion percentage. It's, uh, it, I mean, it's it's he's it's doing okay. it's unbelievable. Yeah, he's doing okay. But there are still things. It, look, if anybody can trick Ian Book, it's Pat Narduzzi. I mean, yeah. this guy is a great <laughs> defensive mind and has been for a long time. Uh, Twitter, way to go, K man. What caused Ian Book to play flustered and erratically in the first half? Press coverage. Poor pass protection, fourth start, great defensive mind in Narduzzi, midterm exams, emotional ups and downs following Stanford, uh, um, uh, Virginia Tech, false rumor of academic suspension. <laughs> you think he was like doing a makeup test or something I, on Wednesday? I, I mean, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't, I don't know, but let's throw that in there <laughs> because that you know, no Alex Bars, no Alex Bars. I mean, I, I'm not. I'm not making fun of the question. It's just that there are a multitude of reasons why a young quarterback can struggle. And I think just about all of those are pretty valid. Yeah. I mean, I I think that he looked very young on his first interception because that was like, you're like, no, 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 no. Our vantage point was way better than his. That's a really tough read he had there. I mean, it's just like the way the ball came out is you're like, oh, those are the passes that get intercepted. And sure enough, a guy intercepted. Um, You know, it. I think in the first half, I don't know if, how deliberate it was, but I think Notre Dame took its time to try to figure out what Pittsburgh was doing and then adjust off off of it um, from there. And if there hadn't been the kickoff return for the touchdown, it probably been a very comfortable adjustment in sort of sussing out yeah. what Pittsburgh wanted to do. When the kickoff came back, suddenly everything felt very tense. Um, but I think of all the things you listed, Tim, start number four of the season would probably be the most important. Right. Right. Uh, we have a pair here uh, from at training underscore Dave. What has happened to Dante Vaughn? He did not look good Saturday. And then from Brooks Beer 1, I was surprised to see Tariq Bracey called upon in clutch situations. 
you see him getting more playing time in the second half of the season? I mean, when in our all of our spring practice, fall camp observations, when have you come out of a practice thinking like, man, Dante Vaughn looks really good? Physically, he looks amazing all the time. But just in terms of production-wise, I don't think that we've had a moment no. where you're like, He's really closing the gap on Troy Pride, or like he could really back up no. Julian Love. And We've Brian, never seen it. No, and Brian Kelly said we have to just kind of disregard the fact that he doesn't have good cornerback technique and throw him yeah. out there. He, I mean, he flat out said that, and, and boy, has that really come into play. I, you know, he and even when he had good uh, technique on the the late touchdown by Virginia Tech, he didn't make the play yeah. being in the position to do that. I, you know, you saw. Did you see the play where he, where they took him out yeah. for good when he got beat inside? He got beat inside, and then God, you just can't do. Then he gave up yes. on the tackle. That I thought was completely weird. That I mean, you just don't see guys do that very often. He just like frustration. I I think I visit. I wrote it. He visibly, you could see his shoulders slump as he gave up on the play, and yeah. it was still live. Yeah. Yes. And that was, I believe that was the last snap that, was, that he had. You're absolutely right about that. Um, as far as the Tariq Bracey part of it, he was a guy I heard about in the summer. The coaches were – there's always a couple that are prospects that are the coaches are higher on than sort of the general public or the recruiting rankings industry. Tariq Bracey was a guy that was called out in the summer to me as like, this guy I think is going to be pretty good. Um, does that mean they thought he's going to be your third corner in game eight, probably not, but I think he has to be your third corner moving forward. I mean, to to specifically answer the question, do you see him getting more playing time in the second half of the season? No, because Troy Pride will be right. healthy. Right. But I think as a third corner who can give you eight snaps a game. Okay, yeah. so that's more playing time. Yeah, I that's guess that's more is, playing time. It's less it's playing time than, than last he, weekend, Right, 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 right. But more than maybe what he got earlier in the year. Can I point out that I know you remember, Tariq Bracey was my top three star pick was a big was the biggest sleeper I loved the way he played I just loved his coverage ability but he's so he's skinny I mean he is 170 pounds you see him trying to make tackles he had seven tackles he had to kind of just like like wrestle them and spin them around and throw them down because he can't he's not strong enough to just you know drive through them and wrap and tackle but he's a good cover guy he's a kid that had coming out of high school very very natural coverage skills and it's showing up now. All right, next up, Irish GL. And I wish we had the audio of Brian Kelly's Sunday teleconference displaced into this because Tim asked Brian Kelly about this. After Notre Dame sent eight different plays to the ACC in which no holding was called, what, in your opinion, was the most egregious no call? That's a, that's a great question because there's so many from which to choose. And Notre that, Dame benefited from some of them. What do you mean? Of the a, a egregious... Oh, absolutely! No oh, absolutely! Yeah. I tried to list those in the tail of the tape yeah. too. I mean, they were, and I'm not. They were bad calls on both sides. I mean, Bracy should have had a personal foul on the Pittsburgh sideline when he sent Pickett into the the kicking net. Oh yeah, and they and, and they didn't call that one. I didn't think that Claypool deserved the pass interference on the the deep ball that they called on Dane Jackson. Fortunately, that got Notre Dame's drive going. But uh, defensive linemen get held all the time. Drew Tranquil was grabbed and thrown to the ground by Bookser. But Alex Bookser, that's how he blocked. He put a hand on the back of the guy and throw him down. <laughs> yeah, I felt like I saw a lot of defensive linemen beat offensive linemen and then somehow end up on the ground. Like they got tackled from behind. What, they slip on the yeah. turf or what? Yeah, it's like they fell into their legs or something. Um, Do you have a most egregious? 
So, I mean, I, I think the most egregious would either be uh, the kickoff return touchdown where Jordan Jen Markeith. I didn't even see that jersey. When I'm watching it. <laughs> I'll show you a photo on my computer. Like, I screenshot it. His jersey, no, I saw, I saw it. Yeah, his jersey rises up you can, so you can see his shoulder pads, and his number two, like, half of it is under his helmet. Um, he's getting held that much. But the other one would probably be the play after the Chase Claypool PI. Tommy Kramer clearly holds. Uh, at the point of attack, and that turns into Dexter Williams' 13-yard run, which is the only carry that went for longer than four yards. And that was oh. part of the game-winning drive. Uh, LSA Mack had a had a hold that they didn't call as well. And, you know, I kind of equated it to, like, a bas- basketball referees, at some point you just have to, you have to call the fouls so you can stop it from happening. I mean, nobody wants to watch a football game with 25 penalties in it. I get that. Yeah, it's like. But then there has to be a conversation. You, like, you need to, the refs need to have a conversation with the head coaches and say, we are going to yeah. start throwing flags on all this crap. We can't let this continue on. That's a good point. I, I think it, it needed to be managed better at the front end by the officiating crew, opposed to having. I would rather them do that than call everything. In the same way that, did anyone really like watching Notre Dame, Michigan State in 2013? Like oh, when they're all the PI calls, yeah, that's ridiculous. Also, Pat Narduzzi, like, yeah, that like, that's just not a good product. Um, but it just it needed to be managed better than it was uh, by this crew, right? Spud Lover asks, eval- or yeah, evaluate Chip Long's performance as play caller so far this year. Mm, I mean, if I put a grade on it, I'd probably go B plus. Yeah, I mean, I you know, it's not a. So how do we evaluate Chip Long when they score when they average forty six a game? He's a good play caller, and when they only score nineteen, he's a bad play caller. I mean, it's, I mean yeah, it's well, his, the players the, do the, have something to do with it. The first half against Michigan was great, and the second half wasn't. The first half against Virginia Tech and Pittsburgh weren't great, and the second halves were. So, I mean, is it more impressive to come up with the the plan where you strike first and you force the other guy to adjust? Is it more impressive? when you find solutions as the game is unfolding in 10 minutes, opposed to having a whole week, I would, I would say the latter is, is more impressive to me. Well, or, you know, you just, you, uh, you score 70, like he I mean, thought, like he thought <laughs> which is very difficult to do because the other team is practicing yeah. during the yeah. week. But, um, well, we both agreed and I didn't, <laughs> Pete said it to me on the field on the fourth and one call. That, that one I did not To like ice the game, but I really, I, I didn't have a good view of it, so I didn't react to what he said. And then I watched the replay of it and like, man, I just don't, I don't know what was supposed to happen there. Now, Brian Kelly had a long, long conversation with Ian Book and actually uh, really got his attention on the sideline when he was, I don't know, bending over and pulling up his socks. I don't know if yeah. you saw that, but... Um, yeah, that that play. I mean, I I don't know what the op, the only the only option was to Wisher. throw it. I think it was supposed okay. to be Wisher right. like immediately, and then Wisher got hit, and then book. He like, eventually was got stride. to the spot, and book wasn't comfortable trying to squeeze it in. At it that, just seemed at like a moment. high. It, it was too high a degree of difficulty it was. for that spot. But you know what? I mean, it's fourth and one. So book. I mean, if you're going to go for it, you can get picked there. I get. Okay. Yeah. You know. I mean, that's easy to say that it's okay to go ahead and try to force it because it's fourth down. But I mean, it needs to be remembered and should never be forgotten that Notre Dame has changed quarterbacks after three games when they were three and zero. The offensive play caller had a ton to do with that, and the guy that they have in now has developed so much from what he was last year. He leads the nation in completion percentage. I think it's thirteenth in passing efficiency. Um, They are running a very functional offense that has had 
a couple rough spots the last couple weeks. And but Long has figured it out on the fly once against Bud Foster and another time against Pat Narduzzi. I, I think he's doing a really good job. I do too. Uh, SR5452, kind of a different way to look at it, but how would you, how would you guys attack the Notre Dame offense and the Notre Dame defense? I mean, I would attack Notre Dame's offense the same way that Pittsburgh did. I agree I would, with that. I would create a lot of traffic in the short passing game, and I think that's, that's part of uh, loading the box that I think maybe doesn't get recognized enough. It's like if you're a short passing team and the other team is loading the box, they're not just taking away your run game, they're gumming up your short passing mm-hmm. game because there's too many guys mm-hmm. there. Um, so I would do exactly what Pittsburgh did defensively. How I would attack Notre Dame's defense, I sure as hell wouldn't go for a deep passing game. Well, you, yeah, it's got to be a three-step three yeah. drop game. I don't know. I don't, I don't think there's a great approach. I, I guess I would, I would run horizontally as much as I could, um, and I would figure out how I can match up uh, Asmer Bilal and Tavon Coney in pass coverage situations, but that is like that's such a like small sliver right. of what to do. Yeah, um, that's not something that you can isolate a whole, on yeah. a play by play basis. That's like five plays in your game plan. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I generally with what you're saying there, I generally agree. It's difficult. Notre Dame's got a great defense. Yeah. It's going to be difficult to do that. Rutgers 33 hot. Special teams has had some bad moments this year. Should those be blamed on Brian Pullian? He's been great in recruiting, but does Notre Dame need to consider replacing him this offseason? Two 99-yard kick returns have to be blamed on the special teams coordinator. I mean, he's not a he's not a position coach and special teams coordinator. That is that is his that's his baby, and so those those go his way. And as I don't know if we said this live or we were talking about before that 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 kick return took a split second to be set up. Uh, I go over it kind of step by step in the in the uh, tail of the tape, but it was set up immediately. You mentioned the hold on on uh, Jim Markeith, but once um, once French decided to kick it left, Nordheim was in bad position immediately, and everybody had a bad angle. Gilman had a bad angle coming from the middle of the field. Fertitta had a bad angle coming from the opposite side of the field, which he couldn't do much about. And Jonathan Doerr isn't going to keep up with with Maurice French. I mean, it's, I think they all had bad angles because the kick was at a bad angle. Exactly. I, I think it, it was it starts there. It absolutely it starts. It starts there. on the tee. Um, that's I asked Brian Kelly about this on Sunday, and I agree with them. Like what they're getting out of Jonathan Doerr in terms of distance, in terms of location, in terms of hang time, is not good enough. And they have. I, I don't know what was up with Justin Yoon. He sort of like cringed a little cringed bit on that second bit, kickoff. That's but, not good. You have to go with him moving forward. Even, and it's like, even if you're just placing your kicks inside the five or at the 10, but like leaving them in corners, that's what you have to do. I'd give him another week. Just booting it with door. I mean, more than 10%, or exactly 10%, basically, of kickoffs from Jonathan Door that are fielded are returned for touchdowns. Like that's ridiculous. Yeah. That's, that is an absurd statistic. That I guess I'd like to preserve I'd like them to preserve Yoon for maybe another week, which they probably can Navy's if Navy returns a kickoff for a touchdown against you, you got big problems. That's not going to happen. Well I mean then they'll win forty five twelve. But like it it just is a situation where they, they cannot go the rest of the season. Like at USC I don't want to see Jonathan Dore on kickoffs. No, no doubt, no doubt. By the time you get to USC, I, I, I don't hear what I don't understand. 
I understand uh, directional kicking and, and that being difficult to do because if you as soon as you start angling it toward the sideline, then you kick it out of bounds, so you don't want that. I don't understand the distance part. Now, there was not a wind issue in Notre Dame Stadium that I'm aware of this past Saturday, so I don't understand why he – I mean, everybody does. And that kid, I, I, I've said it a million times, I mean, that kid's six foot three. I don't know what he weighs, but he is a – He's a big strapping kid, and I don't understand why he can't consistently kick football in the end zone. The it kicker for Pittsburgh can. Three for three. I mean, it's, I went back and looked at, because the, the whole, like, why can't you just kick out of the end zone? I'm like, all right, I know that's sort of, sort of like the, the the fan quick reaction. But after looking at at the the numbers based on, like, what Notre Dame is getting, it's so easy to kick out. <laughs> so Notre Dame has returned Eight kickoffs all year. That's what I'm saying. So that's team after it's team absurd. after team. I would rather see Door. You know, Yoon came in and kicked the line drive that bounced. I would rather see that yeah. because at least it it's difficult to handle and it throws the timing of the return off. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Where's the yeah? Notre Dame has returned eight kickoffs all year. Of the past eighteen kickoffs, Notre Dame has had fifteen go for touchbacks. So it's not a situation where kicking the ball out of the end zone is all that difficult to do for everyone Notre Dame plays. Therefore, it shouldn't be difficult for Notre Dame to do themselves, in my opinion. At Struggle Bus Gus, greatest threat to an undefeated season, a remaining opponent or Notre Dame's remaining travel schedule? Mm. Kind of tied in together. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, and I, I think the answer really is is Notre Dame itself. Um, you know, it's, we talked about, I think, in segment one, if Notre Dame plays a, a Pittsburgh-style performance against... I think any of the last four opponents, I think yeah. I would take Navy out of the mix, but any of those last four could beat Notre Dame if Notre Dame played the way that it did against Pittsburgh. So it's, you know, whether that's travel or whether that's the opponents, I'm not really sure what's what. Um, you know, are midterms harder than three trips to the coast in four weeks or five weeks? Maybe. Um, but I think ultimately, like Notre Dame is in control of the situation. If they play a Stanford style or a uh, Virginia Tech style performance, they'll be fine. But if they play Pittsburgh style, they won't. Imagine, you know, before the season, somebody saying, "Okay, well, Notre Dame will go to the playoffs. All they have to do is win four of their last five games on the road." <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah. and they, they've they've struggled so much, and they what they did at Virginia Tech was very very impressive. You know, I don't think they're going to go into a you know a real difficult environment at Northwestern per se. Uh, it's going to be like a neutral site game. Yeah, right. And, you know, obviously San Diego, uh, although they have a, a, a base out there. Um, yeah, I don't, I, yeah, I don't I, know I don't, that they'll make enough noise to... I believe I heard someone uh, talking up how Navy had moved the game to San Diego for an increased home oh, field really? advantage oh, because yeah. of the naval base out there. And I was like, that's... Not that's not going to cut it for a reason why it's going to be a hostile environment. Right. Somebody, somebody asked, I, where would you like to go see a Notre Dame Navy game? I'd like to see a Notre Dame Navy game at Navy. Yes. Yeah. That Annapolis, would be really cool. I think that would be amazing. That would be that cool. Would be but to get back to the question, um, man, I don't know. They're tied together. I mean, I, I, yeah. I again, I'm going to go back to, to Florida State giving up 2.7 yards per carry. Okay. So we could. So how's Notre Dame going to ha- going to handle that offensively? If they can't run the football, so I mean that could be a problem. They'll throw so, it fifty times. Yeah, well, they will in late November I'm at sure. night in South Bend. <laughs> What's I mean, what could go wrong? All right, uh, Elkman, nineteen sixty six. If Notre Dame is undefeated going into the Syracuse game and loses, will they fire Jack Swarbrick on the tarmac, 
or let him come back to South Bend? We, I think even I think even Jack would get a kick out of that question. Uh, one of us should 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 pose that to him. When we go for it. Yeah, I'll go for no, it. No, O'Malley can do it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, that would be, you know, but uh, why don't you talk to, I mean, we, we've discussed this, but you had the interview with him last, last yeah. summer and, and he said he has to serve two constituencies in making that decision. I think he is very, I wouldn't say that he's uncomfortable with this game, but I wouldn't say he's comfortable with it either. I mean, I think well, it's that, the thoughts cross his mind, certainly. Yeah. I mean, the, the, before the season, before Notre Dame was seven and oh, before Notre Dame could be 10 and oh going to Syracuse uh, and ranked in the top four of the college football playoff. Before all that, he was like, this is pushing the limits of like smart scheduling for a football program for a independent school that wants to be everywhere at all times. It is smart scheduling, but um, as, as he said, like he's serving multiple constituencies. And in this instance, he gave a little to, University and probably asked a little bit more from football than um, he would have liked to have have asked. But um, yeah, there's it will be it will be a very tense Saturday afternoon yeah. at Yankee Stadium for him, especially if Notre Dame is ten and zero. Who who was it that said? Um, somebody asked him, you know, what do we have to do to get a, a le- easier or lighten up schedule? And his response was, get a different athletic director. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> At least he has a sense of humor yes, about it. Yes, that he, that he does. That he does. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting I, because Notre Dame absolutely should be going to New York City with a 10-0 record. And our final question is from Irish Guy, the familiar refrain, <laughs> if not now, when? I mean, they have they have to make the playoffs this year because um, they're, they're going to struggle to – take a run at it next year. And at that point, you just don't really know what's beyond like two years from now is an eternity. That's that's college football in a nutshell. So if not now in terms of making the playoffs, I don't know when, I don't know when their next best opportunity would be. Uh, and I, well, and I were, were talking about this on the way back to our cars on Saturday night after the game that, I mean, if Notre Dame finished, let's say Notre Dame loses at Northwestern, they finish 11-1, they don't make the playoff, they go to the Fiesta Bowl, they draw Washington, and they win. And so they finish 12-1. I don't think anyone is going to sit there and at walking out of whatever the University of Phoenix Stadium or wherever it is in Glendale and think, man, what a disappointing season. But when it comes to making the playoff... It's hard to look at that outcome now and not feel a little bit disappointed if you're a Notre Dame fan, just because this is as clo- this feels closer to me than it did last year, based on the way the schedule shakes out, based on the way the offense is moving, based on the way on the defense is is playing. Um, it feels like it is much closer and much closer to a reality for Notre Dame right now than it was last year. And if they don't get it this year, I don't know when it's going to happen. But as you said. Those last four games. I mean, they can lose any one of those last four games. Yeah, but that's the. I think that's really the. Uh, I don't know the the bucket of cold water that got dumped on your head after the Pittsburgh game is like those games didn't after come after Virginia Tech. I didn't really feel like there was much. There's going to be much of a um, question about what happened in November outside of USC. 
And now it's like, eh, there's Florida State, and like I can. You know why that? that? You know why that is? Because every seven <laughs> days we reevaluate the way we look at a football yep, team. Every true. team in the country, every seven days we reevaluate the way we look at them. Well, isn't it like you felt Wake Forest, then they go to Stanford, they built on Wake Forest. Then they go to Virginia Tech, you felt like they built on Stanford and Wake Forest. And then they go to Pittsburgh, and you feel like it was just like, ah, tri- like it was like the stock market came down. Um, that doesn't mean that it won't go back up, but it, it was not. It was not sort of your linear rocket ride to outer space here in terms well, of right. Dominion football. Right, I did. You saw you used yeah. your linear to line, which I absolutely love. Somebody I was asked on live TV after the Pittsburgh game, "Well, is this really a playoff team?" It's like today. You, no. Well, I mean, you, you we. So the last three weeks didn't happen. You you just can't ignore it. Just it can't be an instant gratification analysis every seven days. It's a it's a cumulative effect. Now when you start suffering injuries and things like that, they add up. But yeah, absolutely, it's still a playoff team. They've just got to regroup. They got a week off, and they got to get better than they were against Pittsburgh. But so. So if they blow out Navy and then then hand the go to Northwestern handle and then Pittsburgh didn't happen, well that happened too. Yeah, and you can revert back to that at some point. And I think it's worth keeping in mind: was Clemson a playoff team when they almost lost to Syracuse at home? Was Ohio State a playoff team when they were like they were dead at Penn State and came back to win? Um, I mean, was Ohio State even a playoff team last weekend against Minnesota when I think they were up maybe yeah, seven six, six points uh, at the end of the third quarter? Okay. I believe it was. Probably not. I mean, was Clemson a playoff team when they almost lost to Texas A&M? No. Um, so you'll you playoff teams don't look like playoff teams twelve or thirteen straight no. times. Um, Notre Dame has probably had a few more not looking like a playoff teams than it would be natural for a playoff team. Uh, but I think we all sort of excused Vanderbilt and Ball State because of the quarterback change, whereas Pittsburgh felt like uh, you. Pittsburgh felt like I got lumped in and yeah. made those the, the Ball State and Vanderbilt games a little bit more relevant. I, I really didn't think we would be to that point anymore where Notre Dame would have that kind of a performance where there was like legit game pressure and you're like, they might lose to a, a bad Pittsburgh I didn't think. I mean, I certainly thought that it was the kind of game where, you know, it was a 10-point, 14-point game. I didn't think they'd be trailing for 40 yeah. minutes. Like, if... If the Pittsburgh game, if you packaged up everything that happened and moved it to Evanston, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think twice about that performance being an indicator or a predictor of anything that happened because I think Northwestern's good enough to to do that to you and muddy up the game yeah. and then like you escape and like great, it's you win on the road, that's awesome, everything's good. Um, the fact that it happened at home at Pittsburgh again midterms, I don't. It's I think. The playoff rankings are going to come out. And we're not going to be talking about the Pittsburgh game. I think that's ultimately what absolutely that, that's the reality. Absolutely, that and we go through this every year. We go through this every year. We're all and and, and after two decades, why haven't we learned? And the, the the and the nation remains shocked. It shouldn't be. I will say this: if they get to the playoffs, if you want to win a national title, it would be nice to have somebody else beat Alabama. Now, <laughs> now, granted, you would have to play that team then, uh, but but you would be playing that team after having to beat Alabama, so you would benefit from that. So, okay, that's enough for today. We will take the week off. Just a reminder again, we'll take the week off. No podcast on Thursday. We'll be back Monday, October 22nd, presumably with the three-man team of Priester O'Malley and Samson. This has been the latest update on, well, no, this has been the latest 
Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by Catanzari Financial Services. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com slash support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics. Thank you.